Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Welcome. Today we have a great show for you. Um, the title of today's show is is it a sin? It's an important question to ask. And obviously for some of us as Catholics, we feel like, gosh, you know, it's pretty obvious if you just read what the Ten Commandments are, if you read the Bible, if you read what Jesus taught, it's pretty easy to see what a sin is, you know, pretty black and white. And then something happens and we get into life and we get out there and we start interacting with people. We start uh, making choices. And if we're not on top of things, if we're not always trying to stay in the state of grace, if we're not following the sacraments and whatnot, it can actually get kind of into a gray area. <clears throat> now that can happen to us uh, just on a daily basis. It can also happen depending on our life experience, right? Because sometimes we start to wonder, is this a sin? Look at what happened to me. Look at what happened in my life. Um, and I have some interesting stories to share uh, in terms of different people I've counseled. And we get into some, some interesting areas where we might have to go through therapy to even be healthy about what we understand is simple and not simple. And we'll see what I mean by that. Today's show is a special show. We do have a live show for you today. So I'm be willing to take in callers if anybody has any questions or anything to share uh, during the show. Richard, if we can put the number up where people can call. Um, and that would be great so that uh, if there are any questions or if there are any comments, always welcomed. But let's start our show like we normally do here at the top of the noon hour with the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, the Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth we beseech thee, O Lord, that grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. I see Richard put up the number there. It's 888-526-2151. If anybody uh, wants to call into the show today, again, that number 888-526-2151. I'd be happy to take your calls and any commentary you have. Quick reminder, we are going to have the Marriage and Family Conference coming up May 7th, 2022, here at the Historic Sacred Heart Chapel. Uh, it's going to start at 9 a.m., it's going to go till 4 p.m. You can register online at vmpr.org. It is $35 for a single uh, uh, ticket and $50 per married couple. It's going to be a great conference. We're going to have Mary Danielle Barber talking to us. I know you guys listen to uh, Bible with the Barbers. Mary Danielle has such great insights into scripture and what that means for us as married couples. Terry Barber is going to give us a talk. 
Terry Barber, as we know, he has, he says he has a PhD in common sense. And sometimes that's more important than anything else. You know, you can have a lot of titles, you can have a lot of degrees, um, but if all of that, if that's all you are, if all you are is the degrees that, that you've earned, it doesn't mean a whole lot because if you don't have common sense or you don't know how to use those towards the kingdom of heaven, it's not going to do us much good. So remember, we're going to have that conference May 7th, 2022 uh, at the historic Sacred Heart Chapel. There's also another thing that's very important. If anybody listened to Jesse's show recently or this past uh, show that was on, um, he was talking about the first five Saturdays. And we've talked about that on this show as well. You know, we're excited that the Pope finally consecrated Russia in a very formal, direct way to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. But we got to do our part, too. And the Sacred Heart Chapel is not falling behind in that. There's the fellowship meals on the first uh, Saturdays of the month. Um, they start at 3 o'clock with a chaplet of Divine Mercy. 3.15, the rosary for reparation will be prayed. 3.45, we're going to have reflections on the message of Fatima. Uh, 4 o'clock is confessions. 5 o'clock is mass. And 6.15 will be the potluck dinner. This is a big deal, folks. You know, sometimes we don't do the first five Saturdays because we forget. We feel tired. We think we're alone in doing it. But this is the Sacred Heart Chapel actually putting on a program here where we can all go and gather. Um, I'll try to make as many of those as possible. I know that my family has been dedicated now and saying, you know, we better dedicate ourselves to making those first five Saturdays. We've done it before, but have we been fervent about it? Have we decided that we need to renew that? I think that's going to be important. All right, let's get into today's show. So interesting title, right? Is it a sin? We can go through the Ten Commandments and say, look, this is what we need to follow. This is what's sinful against God. And then a lot of people in today's society are going to uh, argue or, or comment and say, well, what is a sin? What does it mean for it to be a sin? As Catholics, I think we already know. We can get into the definitions, but ultimately we know a sin is really anything that I do that I think uh, that I decide to accept as truth, even if it goes against God's will or if it's going to keep me from being close to God. Now, it sounds very simple, right? Well, we know the Ten Commandments. That's going to keep you from being close to God. We can get into tricky situations, believe it or not, where all of a sudden things become great, or we're not sure exactly, is what I'm doing a sin? Is this constitute as a sin? There can be a lot of things that happen in people's lives that affect that. Let me share a story with you. It's an important story. I had a patient one time who was not feeling good about herself at all. She was in her late 30s, and she had a son who was about five or six years old. And she came to me, and she felt very, very anxious um, and she said, you know, I, I really don't feel good about my relationship with my son. And I said, well, what's going on? You know, this kind of took me aback a little bit because obviously the relationship between a son and a mother is so important. We can look at the relationship of Christ and Mary as the ultimate mother and son relationship. But we know this. We know this in psychiatry. We know that if, you know, dads aren't there for their daughters, that can be a big issue for girls as they grow up. If the dad's not there to nurture them, to give them a good self-esteem, to tell them how much he loves them, to tell them that they're beautiful the way they are, that can be detrimental to, to females as they grow up because they're going to look for that affirmation and that affection. For boys, it, it speaks to the self-confidence. It speaks to the idea of, am I okay? Is what I'm doing in life okay? Uh, can I make choices for myself? Do I feel cared for and nurtured? Well, in this case, it was interesting. This lady was telling me, you know, I don't know that. I can be there for my son. And I said, well, what's going on? What happened? And she says, you know, he comes to me. I'm sitting down on the couch watching TV or I'm sitting in a chair. And he comes to me and he wants me to hold him. He wants me to pick him up and he wants me to, you know, be nice to him and put him on my lap and hug him and hold him. She says, I can't. I'm pushing him away. I can tell he's crying and I can tell I'm hurting him. 
but I can't do that. I just can't nurture them. And I thought to myself, that's pretty interesting because most moms I know are right away picking up their kids, right away holding them, right away making sure that they're nurtured, that they're cared for, that they're fed, that they have clothes, whatever it is that they need. And so I asked her, well, what's going on? Do you know why you feel this way? Is there something that's keeping you from being able to nurture your son as a mom, as, as would be expected? And she said, you know, actually, right when I was about his age, my uncle used to abuse me. And what he would do is he would sit me on his lap and he would abuse me while I was on his lap. And I felt that that was torturous. I couldn't stand being there. I didn't know how to tell anybody. I didn't think anybody would believe me. I didn't know what to do. And every time I said once to come to me now, that's all I can think about. All I can think about is I think I might hurt my son. I think I might cause a sin. I think I might be in sin if he sits up there because I don't want to do something bad. I feel like I will either defile him or I will gain pleasure that I shouldn't get from doing that. It was an interesting conversation we had because ultimately we had to ask ourselves, is this sinful? Is this not sinful? What's going on? So we got to get more information, right? It's not that it's not as simple as saying, oh, this is right. This is wrong. So I started to ask her. I said, well, unfortunately, first, let's address the issue of you were abused when you were young. That is really hard to live with. That is really hard to, as we say, overcome because overcome is such a easy to use word where we think sometimes like, oh, you have to get over it or you're going to get past that. And that's not always the case, right? So sometimes you end up just learning how to live with that kind of pain. And that can be really hard for people sometimes, you know, they don't know how to, um, I don't want to say accept it, but how to move on with life, knowing that this happened to them. How do I interact with others at this point? How do I know how to trust others? This happened when I was so young. I don't know that I can trust other people. I don't know that I can trust another uncle, a brother, my father. You know, this happened to be a man who did this to me. And so she grew up with a lot of mistrust and a lot of insecurities uh, without being able to express this to anybody. And this is the first time she shared it with anybody. She came to my office. She said, I've never told anybody about this. My husband's getting mad at me. People are getting mad at me because they don't understand why I wouldn't hold my son. And I don't know how to share this with them because it's embarrassing. I don't want to share this. I don't want them to think that I'm defiled or that I'm less than. And there's nothing I can do about it now. So that was the first issue we had to talk about. We had to say, you know, I think we're going to need to go to more therapy about what happened to you and deal with this issue in particular. Because until we get to that point and until we help explore this, then you might not be able to show affection to your son. And that can damage him. So it's interesting to see how that which happens to, to us when we're younger can affect us in the future with our own families, with our own kids. We're going to talk more about why that's important and how we can overcome some of that. But again, we got to come back to the question that she was asking, is it a sin for me to put my son on my lap, given everything that's happened to me? We're going to explore that more when we come back from the break. All right, welcome back to Virgin Mouse Powerful Radio. Today we're having a live edition of the Dr. Lee Sandoval Show. Always a pleasure to be here. Um, today we're talking about a very, very important topic. Um, we're talking about what is a sin, what constitutes sin, and what is not a sin. And of course, like I said earlier on in the show, we can easily look at what the Bible says. We can look at 
what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says. But what we're talking about right now is real life issues because we need to apply that to real life. Um, before the break, I was talking about a very, very sensitive case that came up with one of my patients where she was, there's a lady in her 30s. She had a son who was about five, six years old at the time, and she did not know how to show him affection, unfortunately, because she had been abused when she was in her youth. And this is where we see some very important things that we need to think about as Catholics. The first thing I look at here in a very practical point of view is the communion of saints. This is where we see it happen, folks. We see that that which I do is going to affect others. If I'm selfish, if I decide to violate somebody else, if I decide to abuse somebody else, I don't know how much effect that's going to have down the road. I don't know what that's going to do to them. In this particular case, this lady's uncle was abusing her. What did he do? He had her on her lap. What's the difference between if he puts her on her lap and if she puts her son on her lap? There's actually a big difference, believe it. You know, we look at the same action, but it's a very, very big difference. Why? It seems obvious, right? If we talk about it, we say, well, geez, Dr. Sandler, well, yeah, her uncle did not have good intentions. And I think that that's where it starts. A lot of times we say, well, good intentions lead down the road. There's, you know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, excuse me, is the, the saying. But if we already start off by saying, you know what, I know that I'm going to satisfy my own urges, or I'm going to fill my heart with perversions when I do this, but I'm enjoying that, I indulge in that, that's going to be a big problem. That's going to be a problem. That's already a sin right there. We know that. That's pretty clear, cut, and dry. What we don't know is, what am I doing to these children? Remember what Christ said? He said, better that somebody wrap themselves with a rock and throw themselves deep in the ocean and die than to violate the innocence of a child. Well, unfortunately, this is what happened. Why would Christ tell us that? Why is that so bad? Because in the world of the communion of saints, if we're all united, that which I do is going to have a domino effect. It's going to have a domino effect in this lady's life, and now it's having a domino effect in her son's life, and then it's going to have a domino effect in how he raises his children or how he views life if he feels like his mother was never affectionate to him. There's a big problem. You know, it's the obvious part of the, of the sin, the, the danger of the sin. So all of a sudden, we have the situation where she doesn't know if she can relate to her son as a mother should. So we talked to her, we, we advised, or we talked together, and we advised that she should start going to therapy and recognize that the reason that her uncle was carrying her, holding her, was because his intentions were really bad. He had nothing, it had nothing to do with fulfilling her needs. It had nothing to do with nurturing her. It had everything to do with satisfying his sinful nature. He wasn't using his reason. He wasn't fighting his will to do what was right. In fact, it was quite the opposite. It was all about consuming himself with his own pleasures and sinning in that way. It was very, very obvious to, to see that sin. Now, what about in her life now? She had this question of, is this a sin? If I do this, is this a sin? Unfortunately, she starts getting into the world of one, having to heal that wound that she experienced, but two, then the question of scrupulosity comes in. And I know a lot of our listeners' questions suffer with this because I get emails and people ask me, geez, if I do this, is this a sin? Is that bad? You know, I'm not trying to, but I can't get this thought out of my head. It's overwhelming me. Uh, I feel like I'm sinning all the time. So we can actually become scrupulous. And this is what was happening to her. Not only does she not know how to relate to her son, but there were other areas of her life where this came up where all of a sudden 
she was not sure if she should act a certain way, if she should do something, if she should do something, and she was overthinking it. She was saying, you know, if I go into the bathroom but I don't lock the door, is that sinful? Because what if I'm changing and somebody walks in? If I, uh, you know, talk to my son and say certain things, am I saying it the wrong way? And then he's going to interpret it the wrong way. She was becoming scrupulous. Her mind was no longer healthy, unfortunately, because of what happened to her in her past. And so we had to have a long conversation. I had to take it one step at a time with her because we had to help her heal her mind. What is the sinful nature? So I asked her, I said, well, what happens if you put your son on your lap? Why do you feel that that's a sin? And she said, because I don't want him to feel the way I did, and I don't want to abuse him. And so I asked her, we had to get into the details of this. I said, well, if you put him on your lap, why would that be sinful? What, what would you feel would be sinful in that respect? And she said, well, I don't know. I just, I'm afraid that I might want to touch him. And so I said, is, you know, inappropriately. And I said, is that something that you think you want to do right now? And she said, no, but because of what happened to me, I just don't know what to do here. And so I said, no, what, what do you want for your son? She said, well, I want him to be happy and healthy. I just don't know how to give that to him. I said, well, do you hold his hand when you're walking? She said, I'll hold his hand, but that's about it. And I said, already right there. Let's look at that. You're holding his hand. What is your intention of holding his hand? She said, well, I want him to be safe. I don't want him to run out into the street. I want to guide him. I want to keep him by my side. I don't want somebody to steal him. You know, I'm trying to keep him safe. And I said, already right there, what you got to look at is what your intention is for your son how you're feeling about your son, what it is you want to do for him. Um, that is what we need to start to consider. Where are my actions? Where are my thoughts? Where are they leading me? Are they leading me to help nurture others, to make others feel good? Or are they leading me in the wrong path? A good example of this is if I'm going to tell the story about somebody else, is this because I want to make them look good? Or is it because I want to spread gossip and I'm going to feel really good as I'm spreading the gossip? You know, it's kind of tasty. It's kind of juicy, right? Gosh, you know, don't tell anybody. I'm going to tell you this in confidence. I'm going to, but don't tell anybody else. But did you know about this person? Already my intention is not to put this person in a good light, but to engage in being able to feel satisfied. Granted, not in the same way as this lady's uncle who was violating somebody else directly. But in a way, we're looking at, am I violating this other person's reputation? What's my intention with spreading this information? Is it gossip or is it because I think this information is really going to help that other person? You know, am I telling a friend or a counselor, hey, you know, that other person was doing some bad things, but I want to find a way to help them out? Or am I just spreading it with that satisfaction of spreading this information? So we needed to talk about that with my patient, back to her story. You know, I said, what would happen if you did put him on your lap? And she said, well, I just don't want to do anything bad. I said, and so we had to take steps. I said, well, why don't you sit down with your husband, have your son sit on his lap first and get a feel for him being near you, being near you in that situation, right? We got to take baby steps. She was going through a lot of trauma. She was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. She was suffering from feeling like there was never going to be anything good for her and all she was going to do was bad things. This is what was messing with her mind. Is it a sin for her to carry her son? No. Is it a sin for her to put him on her lap? No. Right? The sin would be if she were doing that with the intention, that same intention that her uncle had. But it was fair for her to question that. It was fair because we see the cycle of violence, right? Now, she wanted to take a different path. She was a faith-filled woman. She was afraid God was going to punish her. But the reality is that wasn't her intention. Her intention was to nurture. She didn't know how. I think a lot of times that happens to us as Catholics where we go through life. We're going to take action on things. We want to do things in our life. We want to do things right. But then we start to worry about, 
gosh, am I doing it right or not? Am I crossing the line somewhere or not? I hear this from some of my priest friends when they're listening to confessions. A lot of times they say, gosh, you know, half the time I'm telling people, no, that's not a sin. No, you don't have to worry about that. But they don't know what to do because people feel very tortured by what they're going through or what's in their hearts. It can make it very challenging to distinguish, is what I'm doing simple or not? Do I have to go to confession about this? Do I have to unload my burden? Have I sinned against my neighbor, my family member, my friend? The real question is, what is my intention when doing this? Am I trying to get closer to God? Am I making a reflection? Am I taking a step back and saying, I'm trying to do all my actions so that I can be closer to God and closer to heaven? It's important to consider this, um, especially when it comes to temptations, when it comes to us not being sure that we should do it. Because again, we can go back to the Catholic, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We can go to the Bible. We can do all that. But you know what? Unfortunately, are we carrying that in our heart? Because we can read all that, but then all of a sudden, if I'm at that party, if I'm hanging out with my friends, if I start to do drugs, if they decide that in this party, eh, it's okay to get intimate with people, um, where am I? Am I carrying that law in my heart? Am I carrying what I've read in my heart? In that moment, it can, it can all just go to waste. It can all go to the wash. I think that the most important thing is, in every moment in my life, if I'm going to go to a party, have I already decided? Have I already reasoned? Have I already put in my will? that I'm going to be thinking of God and putting God first, regardless of whatever situation I'm in. That's really the most important part, because our emotions are going to trick us in, in different times. For my patient, her emotions were tricking her in the other way. It was tricking her to the point where if she doesn't show affection to her son, then we've got to wonder, is she doing something bad? Because we know that he's going to be affected by that as well. However, if she starts to take a step back and realize, I don't want to violate my son, I don't want to sin. In fact, I don't want what happened to me to happen to him, it's important to reason that. In her situation, obviously she went through a trauma. It was very easy to see that she was getting help, she was getting therapy, but we can't have her son suffering at the same time. We have to make sure that her son has access to her affection as a mother. And that's what's important about this. You know, Is it a sin, is it not? Some things are very clear, cut, and dry. Other times, patients will suffer. Patients will suffer and ask, is what I'm doing a sin? I think that I didn't receive Holy Communion appropriately. I think that I didn't make a very good confession because of this or that. The reality is, am I trying to get closer to God or not? we got to look at God's mercy. Another thing that comes up is people who do have temptations. Let's say that this lady in particular um, didn't have, I know, she wasn't tempted, she was scared. But what about when we have temptations? Is that a sin? What if all of a sudden I have a dirty thought come into my mind? something that would be considered lustful. Do I have to go confess that already? Do I say, oh my goodness, I had this thought, it, it was sinful. Or let's say that I'm at a bookstore and I'm going by the magazine rack and all of a sudden there's some magazines there and they're not very appropriate and they have very scantily clad images and I look at them, did I already sin by looking at them? This is a good question because a lot of patients come and ask me, you know, I think I did this, I think I sinned because I looked at this, or I think I sinned because, you know, I was surfing the web and all of a sudden this pop-up came up I wasn't trying to look for that, but it came up. The question is, what do we do with it, and how does it affect our heart? One of the big things that we that I've heard a lot of people struggling with, especially during the Lent season, you know, people say, "Gosh, I, I'm trying to pray, I'm trying to fast." You know, just like Christ says, that's how we get rid of the demons too, right? If I pray and I fast, but I keep getting these thoughts, these temptations to lust. This can be a problem, right? Because all of a sudden I have this temptation, I feel like I have to go to confess it. Not necessarily the case. I want to bring up a case of St. Catherine of Siena. Now, I know a lot of us know who St. Catherine is. Um, very holy woman, very holy saint. St. Catherine of Siena, one of my favorite saints. 
But let's look at what happened to her. There's an article that I was reading about saints and some of the temptations they had, especially when it came to lust. And people might not know this, but St. Catherine had a lot of temptations about lust. Why? Because she was trying to lead a holy life. That's when the temptation comes up. That's when we start thinking certain things that we don't want to think. That's when we start to maybe be exposed to things that we don't want to be exposed to. And we wonder why. Why is that the case? I'm trying to be holy. Why does all this bad stuff come my way? I feel like I got to go to confession. I feel so dirty. I feel so bad because all of a sudden I've been exposed. My eyes, my heart, my mind has been exposed. When we come back from the break, we're going to look at St. Catherine's story. And we're actually going to see what Christ himself told her when it came to the temptations and to what she was experiencing. I think it's very, very helpful. I think it's so important in our own lives to see how does Christ treat us? Because ultimately, what I want to know is, is this a sin or not? Well, how am I going to feel when I'm before the presence of Christ, dealing with whatever I'm dealing with in my life? That's going to be the most important. More after the break. All right. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, it's a pleasure to be here with all of our listeners, being able to speak of the Catholic faith. Like I always say, we got to think like Catholics so that we can live like Catholics so we can be Catholic. What a great time to think like Catholics. In today's show, we're asking ourselves, is it a sin or not? Sometimes it can be a gray area. Sometimes what we feel is a sin to everybody else is not a sin. We were talking um, about a, one of my patients who obviously was not going to be sinning if she had her son on her lap, but because of her own trauma in her heart, she was confused because of what she experienced in her life. She wasn't even sure what was right or wrong anymore when it came to her own family. That can be a really, really hard place to be. And I want to give reassurance to any of our listeners who might be experienced that, who might feel like they're being scrupulous because that can be embarrassing too. Most people don't want to share what they're thinking. And unfortunately, we keep all these thoughts in our hearts and our minds. We don't share it. We don't share our frustrations. And we go through life carrying a very heavy burden that we might not need to carry, that we might not need to, to have in our hearts. Because the reality is you might talk to a priest, you might talk to a friend, and they can give you a better perspective and say, no, that's absolutely not sinning. Not because they think it's right or wrong, but because hopefully they can see it from the perspective of Christ and say, Christ isn't going to hold that against you because you're not offending anybody. You're not hurting anybody. In fact, you're just hurting internally. You're carrying wounds that need to be healed, and maybe you might need therapy. Maybe you might need to talk to a priest and do some spiritual counseling. Whatever it is to help you gain a better perspective. Let's look at the life of St. Catherine of Siena, because before the break, we were talking about what about just a temptation? What if it's a really bad temptation of having these images in my mind? I want to get rid of them. I know a lot of my patients, especially the guys, they say, Dr. Sandoval, I struggle sometimes. I, I, I got to go see pornography. I feel so bad afterwards. I, I feel, I say I got to because I have this drive and I go to confession, but I don't know what to do with it. And man, I just don't feel good about it, but it's there. What do I do? I, I know that I'm sinning. I know this is bad. We have to look at the whole situation because that's how Christ looks at us. Let's look at the story of St. Catherine of Siena. So St. Catherine of Siena, I'm just going to read this article. because an important interaction of her uh, with Christ in regard to her temptations. St. Catherine of Siena pursued a pious way of life from her earliest years. She was born into a large, well-to-do family in Siena, Italy. Her parents saw a good match for their favorite child, but Catherine decided otherwise. She made a personal vow to give her life to God and become a lay Dominican. She lived in her parents' home as a hermit until the age of 21, when she experienced a mystical marriage with Christ. 
a mystical marriage of Christ. I mean, we're talking, this is high-powered saint here. We're not just talking, um, you know, somebody who we think, oh, that's a great saint or that person's holy. St. Catherine of Siena is having a mystical marriage with Christ, just like we think of the big name St. Saint Teresa of Avila. Any saint, obviously, is already in heaven. But when we study this, this uh, life of St. Catherine of Siena, the understanding is sometimes we see these saints and we think, man, she had a mystical marriage with Christ. Her life was perfect at that point. What else could she mean? She's reaching that level of spirituality that we're all trying to reach. It says, afterwards, she started to live a more outgoing life by serving the impoverished and ill. She vexed her family by giving large amounts of food to poor persons. Her work gained followers. And when political events in Italy worsened, she intervened by her prayers and persuasive personality. She was particularly instrumental in bringing the Pope back from Avignon. So remember, this is the time when, the, when we had the two popes. The Pope was in France in Avignon, and then the other Pope was in, in Rome, and they were battling it out as to where it should be. St. Catherine of Siena was the one who went to the Pope in France and said, hey, you gotta, there can't be two popes. There's got to be only one Pope, and, and it's got to be at the Vatican. That's all there is to it. And she was very instrumental in doing that. So we're looking at St. Catherine, and we're thinking, she is a powerhouse of a saint. She's, you know, obviously it says that she has strong prayers and persuasive personality. Now, all that tells me is that she is on fire and that nothing's going to stop the saint. What could possibly happen? The devil's got to be freaked out by her. Possibly, yeah, but then what happens when the devil's freaked out by somebody? He's going to come and try to attack because he's going to try to get rid of that person, right? It's like a bully. When they know that somebody might be more powerful or influential, they got to get rid of that because they want to be the number one. Well, let's look at St. Catherine's temptations. One day, St. Catherine conceived a great yearning for the virtue of fortitude. So she wanted to have fortitude. Fortitude means I'm going to hold on to my faith. I'm not going to leave my faith. I'm going to be strong in Christ and nothing's going to stop it. I'm going to be Catholic till the end. I'm going to be with Christ till the end. So she wanted this. She was yearning for this virtue. She's praying for it. So she had a spiritual encounter with Christ who explained to her that she would gain this virtue through certain trials that would soon visit her. The trials were temptations to lust that beset her night and day. Night and day she's having these temptations, not going away. There's no break. She's getting temptation after temptation. Vivid images filled her mind as devils pestered her continually. So this is all of a sudden, this reminds me of some of the patients I see. They're saying, I can't get these thoughts out of my head. What do I do? I feel like I'm sinning. It goes on to say, she responded by incessant prayer and penances, such as fasting, vigils, and scourging her body. The apparent absence of Christ compounded her struggles. Now, Let's look at what she did. So she starts to pray more heavily. She starts to do more penances, fasting, vigils, scourging her body. Usually what I tell patients nowadays, I don't say, you know, do any flagellation or anything like that. I say, well, why don't you go exercise or why don't you do something physical that might be challenging, but don't hurt yourself either. Um, it's got to be something that if you're going to do it, it's a penance because it's going to be a, a hard struggle, but I don't want you to hurt yourself. I don't want you to end up in the emergency department. Now, Eventually, she was able to overcome this, and let's see what happened. This is where I, I want to have hope for any of my patients who feel like, or any of our listeners who feel like, I don't know, I feel like I'm sinning. I'm afraid to tell people. I don't even want to talk about it with people because I carry that carry that internally. I feel like I need to go to confession all the time, but I'm embarrassed to confess the same th the same sin. And on top of that, the priest sometimes tell me, tells me it's not a sin, but I feel really bad. So let's see what happens here. After several days of struggle, a ray of the Holy Spirit entered her soul as she returned from church. Notice she's still going to church. I know some, some of the people I speak to, they say, I kind of stopped going to church and stuff because I'm so bad that I don't want to go to church because I've got these temptations. I feel like I'm, I'm not holy enough. I, I don't even want to go receive communion. She's still going to church. She's battling these temptations. Remember, it's a vivid images 
She's still going to church. On her way back from church, the Holy Spirit, a ray of light, enters her. Her thoughts reminded her of what she originally hoped to receive, namely the virtue of fortitude. How many times does that happen to us? We say we want something from God, and we imagine, I think, though, that it's just going to come to us. It's going to be very light, and it's going to just fill our hearts, and, and it's going to be so good. But we forget sometimes that there's a price to pay. There's got to be a sacrifice. We've got to prove ourselves worthy of what we ask for. That's really the important part. So at this point, St. Catherine, her thoughts reminded her, she's remembering now, oh yeah, that's right, I wanted fortitude. She marveled that her endurance of strong temptations was the very means by which she acquired fortitude. So how did she get it? Lord said, you want fortitude? Okay, but let's see how good your patience is. Let's see if you can last this, because really fortitude means I'm going to be strong until the end, then we're going to be tested. How much can you last? How much, how, what, how big a temptation can you handle? Because if you want fortitude and you're going to be there till the end, you got to know what you're battling. You're going to have to have major hurdles to overcome to keep on to the Catholic faith sometimes, right? And all of a sudden, uh, let's see here where we're at. So, she, so all of a sudden, once she, re, she remembered that, it says she subsequently fought more earnestly to repel the demons that afflicted her. When the devil came to tempt her once more, she says she was willing to endure all pains. In other words, she was saying, I'm not willing to get rid of these temptations. I'll be patiently enduring them. The temptations are there. The bad thoughts are there. Yeah, they can be there. Now the question is, what do I have to do? It says, in view of her boldness, the devil fled and her temptations against chastity stopped. In view of her victory, Jesus visited her to bestow rich blessings on her soul. So eventually, she outlasted the devil. She was getting these bad thoughts, these bad images, all lustful very hard to deal with, but she was able to overcome it. The question is, what does it mean to overcome that? All of a sudden I have these thoughts. I feel like I have to go to confession. I have to feel like I have to do something. But Lord appeared to her. And now here's the, the crux of the story. Here's where it gets interesting. She complained to Jesus. Remember, she was asking for fortitude. And now she's complained to him. And she's complained to him. And she said, Lord, where were you when my heart was so tormented? She was tormented in her heart, not just in her mind but in her heart. This is what's important for us as Catholics. How do I know something sinful or not? Am I tormented in my heart by it or not? Jesus said, I was in the center of your heart. Catherine wondered how it could be as impure thoughts engulfed her mind. She's like, how could you be in the center of my heart when I was having all these bad thoughts? I would assume that you would flee. Why would Christ be near me? Don't we feel that way sometimes? I'm having all these temptations. I'm having all these bad thoughts. I don't know how to get rid of them. I must be doing something wrong. And I know that God can't be near me because God's not going to want to be near all this bad stuff. I got to figure this out on my own. But Jesus tells St. Catherine, as she's going through this, I was in the center of your heart. Catherine wondered how it could be as impure thoughts engulfed her mind, it said. Jesus asked if the thoughts gave her pleasure or pain. Let me read that again. Jesus asked if the thoughts gave her pleasure or pain. That's where the key is. This is how we know if we're getting closer to God or not. She told him that the thoughts caused her pain and sadness. Jesus then explained to her that it was because he was in her heart that these thoughts were painful and not pleasurable. He told her that he defended her throughout the ordeal. Notice here's the difference. We can be faced with the exact same scenario, but the question is what makes something a sin when we indulge, when we take pleasure in what we know is wrong? and what we know to be bad. We can be exposed to these temptations, we can have temptations to lust day and night, but if it's not something that we agree with, if it's not as we would say in psychiatry, ego syntonic, 
which means that it's something that I accept. Egocentric means, yeah, that's okay. I accept that. That's good. It's like going to a party and your friends are doing drugs or something. And all of a sudden you decide, you know what? Okay, just this once I'll do it. I decided it was good at that time. Normally I might say, no, I would never do that. Drugs are terrible. But in that moment, I switched. My heart switched. I decided it was okay because I was with my friends. I'm going to come out of that scenario and I'm going to say, why did I do that? I knew it wasn't good, but I decided to make it good in my heart. St. Catherine is showing us, and through her conversation with Christ, Christ is telling us, how do you know something's a sin or not? Look in your heart. Does it give you pleasure or does it give you pain? This is the same thing. It could be simple, but did I sin? I'm exposed to these temptations. How do I know that I shouldn't confess them? Am I battling them or am I accepting them? That's really what it comes down to. Is it something that I feel that I'm going to take pleasure in and, re and regret it later? Then yeah, it was simple. Is it something that's plaguing me day and night, but I've decided, you know what, I'm going to put up with this. Not because all of a sudden I feel I did something wrong, but because I feel that this is going to bring me closer to Christ. Then that moment becomes a moment of victory. I've decided I'm going to fight. I'm not going to allow this to be okay in my heart. And in fact, it brings me nothing but pain. And as we hear from Christ, why is it bringing pain? Because he's right there with us. He hasn't left us at all. He's at the center of our hearts. And in that last sentence, it says, he was defending her throughout the ordeal. Christ is fighting with us. More when we come back to the break, we'll see how Christ fights with us all the time. All right. Well, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Uh, today we had a live show. I know normally we don't have a live show, but I was going to open it up to any callers if they want to call in here on the last segment. Um, if not, that's okay. I figured, you know, normally we're recorded, so I don't anticipate uh, people will know to call in. But we're talking about a very important topic. How do I distinguish between sin and not sin? And that number to call in if there is any live listeners out there is 888 5262151. How do I know? How do I know if I've committed a sin or not? I know what's right or wrong, what I've been taught is right or wrong. But in the moment of action, this is why I say we have to think like Catholics in order to live like Catholics, in order to be Catholic. Did I think like a Catholic before I was in that situation? We're all going to fall. We're all going to be in the situation where we realize, yeah, okay, that, that was a sin. But in the moment, does it feel that way? In the moment, do we know that it's a sin? How do I know it's a sin? We had been reading a passage about St. Catherine of Siena right before the break, and it was such an interesting dialogue that she had with Christ. She was being tempted. She was being tormented with images of lust in her heart, but she did not like them. She was fighting them. She wanted them to go away. She didn't feel that Christ was near her. How many times do we feel that way when we're going through life? That's the psychology that we have to understand as Catholics. That's the psychology of being a spiritual Catholic. That is where we have to understand that. We might feel like God is not with us, we, we, like we've been abandoned. And yet in the midst of all that, Christ tells us, I was right there in your heart the whole time. And she's probably wondering, like we all do, well, how could you be in my heart? You know, my heart was full of, of lust. My heart was full of, of bad things. My, my heart was full of bad thoughts. How in the world were you in my heart at that time? And Christ said, it's because you were fighting it, because you didn't want that there. I was feeling your pain. I was fighting with you to get rid of it. But that also tells us we have to go through the trial. What's the difference between all this? Because what if all of a sudden we, we quote unquote, fail that trial? What if all of a sudden we find ourselves in the middle of a trial and the moment we decided, you know what, it's okay. There we go. There's the problem. I decided it was okay. I didn't look at from God's eyes. 
God, God knows what's right or wrong. There's, there's no question about that. It's pretty black and white. When we look at the gray areas of life, that's God's mercy. That's God's mercy letting us know. I realize you're not always going to make the right choices because in the moment, your heart might not be ready. And you might indulge in something that might not be as pure as it should be, might not be as good as it should be. Maybe you fell into that temptation because in that moment you felt like God was not nearby. We didn't see God in our heart. But the question is, do we move on with fortitude? Well, what happens now? You know, I'm not here to judge anybody as far as you sinned or you didn't sin. I'm not God. You know, we don't do that. We shouldn't be doing that to each other. We're really good at doing that, but we shouldn't be doing that to each other. I don't know everybody's individual situation. I talked about my patient earlier who didn't know how to show affection to her son. A lot of people might look at that situation and say, what a bad mom. You know, I don't know what's going on in her mind, but how could she not just pick up her son and hug him and love him? I mean, isn't that what moms do? But the reality is once you know more, you start to realize who knows what was going on in her mind? Who knows what's going on in her heart? She's really struggling with this. She wants to be affectionate to her son, but because of her experiences in life, it's really hard to do. Let's look at the ultimate story of sin and redemption, uh, or one of the great stories of sin and redemption in the Bible. This is one of my favorite Bible passages. I think it's so it's deep in so many levels. You know, and this is the passage, of, if you want to look at this passage, it's from the book of John, chapter 7, verses 53, through chapter 7, verse 11 is what I'm looking at. This is when the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery. To Christ. She was caught in sin, is what the Bible tells us. Okay, let's read the Bible passage and let's break it down a little bit to see is this a sin or not. So it says, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, now they're telling Jesus, they're testing him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? So they're testing Christ. They're saying, are you going to follow the law or not? You say you're the man of the law. You're here to bring the law of God. We're talking about Moses now. Moses got this law from God himself, right? So we're looking at all this. They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. This is an important passage to read when it comes to all this. You know, if, if anybody's ever listened to Fulton Sheen's um, spe uh, speak and some of his talks, there's one very important talk where he talks about the devil. And he talks about what it's like in that moment of temptation, that moment of sin, when we're experiencing this. You know, in that moment of temptation, the devil's cheering you on. He's saying, go for it. Do it. What does it matter? Are you kidding me? Don't be so antiquated. Look at what everybody else is doing. Why aren't you, do you think you're better than everybody else? Why are you going to be any different? Then this is what we see in the, in the book of Genesis when he talks to Eve. Why don't you eat of the fruit? Why are you listening to God? You're, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Look around you. Use your logic. Use your way of thinking. Don't think like God. Isn't that what happens? It happens to all of us. This poor lady, she falls into the sin of adultery. Now, the Bible, the scripture is telling us she falls into the sin of adultery. I don't know really what was going through her mind. We can assume that. She took pleasure in it or she accepted it as okay. We don't know if she was taken forcibly. 
We don't know if that's what she wanted to do. We don't know where her heart was during the time that she was caught in the act of what they say is adultery, but they bring her before Christ. So in that moment of temptation, the devil's saying, go ahead and do it. Christ is telling us as Fulton Sheen says, don't you dare do that. He's a scolding, loving father. He's saying, do not go down that path. Do not eat from that fruit. We can hear a lot of the don'ts, right? And we say, why is he restricting us? What's going on? I was meant to be free. Don't I have a free will? I don't have a restricted will. I have a free will. And then what happens? We can fall into sin. It's a confusing time because we fall into sin and then all of a sudden we're not even thinking straight. Sin dulls the intellect. We don't know what's going on. Is it a sin? Is it not a sin? No, it felt right in the moment. It felt okay. It felt good. But afterwards, I don't know how to feel about it. I need some clarity of thought. All these men found this woman. They brought her to Christ, and she was caught in the act of adultery. There were no questions asked. Why was she there? How did she find herself in that situation? Did she go willingly or not? But it was just assumed because she was in that situation, she was caught in the act of adultery. Notice, they bring the woman. They don't bring the man. They don't bring who she was with. Where is he? Where is his fault in all this? It's not brought up in the, in the Bible here. It's not brought up in the passage. But we're not going to deal with that because it wasn't there. We can imagine that maybe things were not there. But they bring him before Christ. The first thing Christ looks at, I think he's looking at everybody's heart. He's just like he looked at St. Catherine's heart and he told her, I was in your heart because you were struggling. You were fighting against the sin. He's looking at everybody's heart around him. And he's looking at all these people who are condemning her and saying, I think you are all being sinful now because your hearts are really burning with anger, with vengeance against this woman. And if you stone her, you're going to do it out of wrath. Isn't that one of the capital sins? He's looking at their hearts and he's saying, I don't think you're looking to be justified before the eyes of God. I think you're looking for justice within your own hearts. You're looking to accept this pleasure of hurting this woman. Reminds me of the uncle of the patient I was speaking about. Where was his heart? His heart was not to make, to take care of his niece. It was to violate her. It was to satisfy his own needs. Here, it looks like the Pharisees and the scribes are satisfying their own needs to follow the law, regardless of who this person is, what the situation is. And even if she is caught in the state of sin, what's, where do we go from there? If you listen to that talk from Fulton Sheen on the devil, he tells us, once you have sinned, now the devil went from being your cheerleader to your accuser. Look at what you did. And you can turn to the devil and say, but you said it was great. He's going to say, why do you listen to me? I'm not God. Now the truth comes out. Now that the sin is done, right? So now it's easy to accept. Well, look at that. I'm not God. Now you're going to suffer the consequences. Now you're going to come into my world and I get to torture you. I wonder how tortured this woman felt if she had fallen into the sin of adultery. Wasn't thinking straight. But who clarified everything? It was Christ. Fulton Sheen said, after the sin, Christ is the one who tells you, come here. What happened? How do we fix this? Remember those don'ts that you felt were too strict when I said, don't do this, don't do that. They were really, I love you and I don't want you to be in pain. Now we look at this pain that you're experiencing. What do we do about this? We have the accusers, the scribes and the Pharisees, what's in their heart? Is it the love of Christ or the accusations like the devil would? That's really what we have to look at. Did I commit sin or not? Do I feel that I'm being accused? Have I done something that I feel was against the law of God and I knew that it was wrong in my heart and I accepted it as true? It can get confusing. We got to look at each situation individually. 
And that's what Christ does. Once the sin has happened, Christ comes and holds our hand and says, what's going on here? People are condemning you. But notice, notice that the scribes and the Pharisees needed Jesus' permission to stone her, requested permission to stone her. This is what is going to happen. This is what I think it's going to look like for us. When we come before the throne of God, and now the devil is going to be there requesting that we be tortured by him because that is the natural effect of sin. That's, that's what we fall into. Is it a sin or not? Well, do I deserve to be tortured by demons or am I fighting something internally that's just not good, that I know is not good and I don't want to be there? Am I taking pleasure in this or do I feel pain because of these temptations that I'm having? That's the real question. That's where the burden comes in. And we ask ourselves, am I burdened by it or not? We move forward and we look at, we're brought before the throne of God and Christ is going to be there to defend us and say, look at me, where is your heart? Christ at this point, remember, he was looking at everybody's heart. He looked at the scribes' hearts, the Pharisees' hearts, and he challenged them. And he said, any of you who doesn't have sin, because they were having sin in their heart at that moment, go ahead and throw the first stone. But he also looks at the woman's heart. Now, the woman's heart, obviously, she does not want to be stoned. She doesn't want to die. But she could have said, I don't regret what I did. She could have said, I'm going to go back and do it again. But Christ is looking at her heart and saying, where are they? No one condemned you. And she says, no one, sir. She was repentant. She didn't challenge Christ. In fact, she didn't even look up to challenge being stoned. It seemed like she said, I know I deserve this. I know I deserve to be stoned. But what is Christ going to do at that moment for us? If we feel we have sinned, this is what we have to remember. Whether it was a sin or not, whether we need to evaluate it or not, whether we need to decide, did I take pleasure in this or not? we got to bring it to Christ. And Catherine of Siena brought it to Christ and he told her, it wasn't a sin. I was there. I was fighting the good fight with you. You were fighting and I saw what you were going through. What if he has to turn to one of us and says, yeah, you took pleasure in your actions. You, you weren't thinking like you wanted to be close to me. It was a sin. Either way, what's Jesus going to say? He's going to say, if we look at our hearts, we have a healthy heart. We have a repentant heart. He's going to say, neither do I condemn you. Go on your way. From now on, do not sin again. If we have fallen into sin, if we keep fighting and we keep fighting those temptations you're going to say keep fighting the good fight and i hope that this helps clarify a little bit what's in our heart what's in our heart in the moment is it pleasure or pain do we accept that which is wrong or do we think no i want to be with christ i'm going to accept the temptations but i'm not going to take pleasure in them and until next time until next week this is dr sandoval saying keep it catholic